I just want to make a entry here about that last night was the night after I left a long message for Claudia warning her. I filled was filled with an overwhelming desire to pray and and literally uh, raise my voice very loud, cry out to God for him to bless me with uh, great finances so that I can help other people. I realized last night as I was praying for Claudia, as I was praying and thinking about Shelly Brown, as I was thinking about Natalie, as I was thinking about um, Ipe in India, as I was thinking about um, somebody else, that these, these moms, these single parent moms and people that are struggling financially that I have such a desire to want to help them. It has been my dream to be able to help single parent moms and now right now I have three single parent moms that I'm developing a relationship with that are all struggling that I would love so much to be able to support financially. So last night I begged God, God open up the heaven. Treasury, a bank of God, pour out your rich blessings upon me. Give me tons of money, God, so that I can give it away and I promise God I would not change my lifestyle. I made it clear to him. I said, Lord, if it would be your blessing, I may end up getting myself a different vehicle. I may buy some additional clothes. I haven't bought any clothes in, goodness gracious, 10 years. I mean, that's the truth. I'm wearing stuff I got 10 years ago um, or longer. And um, so I've asked him for that and um, that I would not change, you know, where I'm living and and uh, I would not splurge i even said well lord you know i might take one vacation because i haven't got to take a vacation but that if you'll please send resources god i will bless these people i want to be able to help take care of people so i um i just wanted to capture that it was a very huge burden last night very huge michael commentary i want to just point out here if i haven't already that this is another prayer that god was not going to answer for michael chriswell noble desire to be able to give money to other people. There's no doubt about it. It's a good thing. And there's plenty of scriptural evidence that I can find about giving to others. More blessed is he who gives than he who receives. You know, doing good to others, do something useful with your hands so that you can share with others in need. And so here I have a noble desire in my heart. But guess what? God is not going to answer this prayer for Michael Criswell. He is not going to ever give me an abundance of finances uh, so that I can turn around and become like a heavenly bank for people, these single parent moms. I have this just great compassion and a desire to give that way. But guess what? That's not the area of my gifting. I think I've already explained this before, but if not, I'm just making sure we cover it here. It's a really important thing to know. My desire was noble, but God's plan was different. So here again, this is an area where God is going to have to lift my eyesight from the things that are down here, earthly, temporal, to the things that are heavenly, eternal. Now, I'm already a spirit-filled man of God, experiencing powerful answers to my prayer, growing in my heart and spirituality, increasing in holiness, obedience, and faithfulness. But there's still these certain areas where I want to do something for God, either led of my own emotion. And a lot of this is coming out of my experience living with a single parent mom, watching my mom struggle for years. And I've always had a compassion to want to give and help people that are in need. And giving finances is quite easy to do, especially if you have a little extra. So God is not going to answer this prayer for me. Instead, God is going to give me an abundance of of spiritual finances to give to other people as evidenced by the direction my ministry goes and grows. You can see God's favor very much in a different area in my life. And I'm so thankful that this was God's plan and will for me. Um, There are many that I am following in the footsteps of which who God kept very short supply in the area of finances, but yet who did amazingly abundant works in spiritual things in their life. And after all, Jesus said, do not work in John 6, do not work for food which spoils, but for food which endures to eternal life. Being able to buy a piece of bread to make yourself a sandwich is no doubt literally important and you cannot survive very long without having that. So physical needs and earthly temporal sustenance is definitely important, but it is nowhere near as important as spiritual bread, spiritual wealth, if you will, right? Because 
You can die of starvation and still go to heaven. You cannot die of spiritual starvation and still go to heaven. You can die with an empty stomach, but you cannot die with an empty heart and still go to heaven. So you see, there's just, both of them are important, but clearly the spiritual one is more important. And that's what God's plan was for my life. So I just find it interesting that here's a really good desire I had that most people would say, yes, God, answer that prayer. Give that man some money so he can help these these women. And many times we don't realize that we may be getting in the way of God's plan. And also God has plenty of other ways to reach people with finances as evidenced by the fact that the world is full of thousands and thousands of testimonies for people seeing this amazing gift and providence of finances coming in an unexpected windfall here and there where God is always working to supply the children who are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with all these other temporal things that they need. So it's not like God needs somebody like me to do it. God had a different calling for me in my life. And I always just find it interesting that that's a good prayer. You know, I could say, God, I really wanted you to answer this, but God would say, my ways are higher than yours. My thinking is higher than yours. My plan is higher than yours. So just come with me and allow me to give you my grace as I have apportioned it. And then go and give to others out of the surplus of what I have given you. Very interesting thing to think about. End of commentary. Today is April 4th, 2015. It's 5.03 in the morning. Last night I went to Low Mill with my mom. I had been working on my book. So I went with mom. It rained quite a bit. And my mom and I ended up sitting out in the middle of the field. Everybody else retreated and we sat underneath of a blanket. And it was good to go with my mom. But I ran into the lady who I had had a disfellowship from just over a year ago. Because she wouldn't listen to me. And she just continued to allow this one person to eat her lunch. And I wasn't going to allow her just to continue to waste my time. Saw her. She's now getting married to a different man. And I was just sitting there. And I guess after a while, I was like, why do I even come here? And I realized I just went with my mom. But I think back to all the times last year where when I go to Low Mill... It's like when I, I, when I, even though it's like a very family friendly environment type of thing for the most part, for some reason my spirit always has a negative feeling. Always. I can't think of a time I've gone to Low Mill and come back and not felt like I had something on me. In other words, it's like the spirit of the world is there so much for me. Now, it's okay for my parents and it's cool, but for me, I can't. Every single time I go, I regret it. Every single time I go, I regret it. So last night I'm sitting there and I'm surrounded by people that are ungodly. The lady who is the false prophet and her new husband shows up. She's a very, very charismatic woman. I had befriended her in the beginning. It was great. And then she kind of just got weird on me and then of course she's the one that came and said God told me you're going to jail because of the child support two years ago I think it was and it was him allowing her to be used in my life to try to scare me the devil was trying to scare me and get me to move off of my position of committed to waiting upon the Lord and so she showed up then I was looking at this other guy who I knew from church who shows up and all he does is talk about himself. Yeah, I've got this done. I did, uh, uh. My mom, he hadn't been gone five seconds and my mom says, did, did, do you see what the problem with that guy is? And I'm like, yeah, mom, there's several problems. And I didn't say it, but she couldn't help herself. And she had to say, he's, he's just interested in himself. He doesn't ask you any questions about you. He's just interested in himself. I said, yeah, I don't, I've not been drawn to have a relationship with that guy. He's, Pursued me many times type of thing. And I just, I yes, right on, exactly. So I'm surrounded by the only people I see that I know are people. And I'm sitting here going, God, I just couldn't help but thinking that these people don't get it. They just don't get it. And I, I felt overwhelmed and disappointed about it, you know. So last night I'm going to bed and I'm like, why even go? I'm not going to go that. I mean, I did my mom a favor, but I just don't like going to Low Mill anymore. I always feel like I have to get the spirit of the world off of me, and I'm not going to keep doing this. So 
I would have been having more fun sitting at home reading my books by myself. You know, and I just, I, I want to separate from the world. I don't ever want to go do things and then feel like I have to get it off of me. That's friendship with the world is enmity with God. I don't care how radical it sounds to people. For me, it's it's not working. So it may work for somebody else, but for me, it's not working. I I don't I don't know what it is, but I don't know if it's just the people that I ran into, but there's always a negative experience. And it's like the people that don't get it are drawn to that. In other words, the David the David the Terry's, the whatever this other lady's name is, and then there's you know, the my mom's friend that showed up last night, uh, Marcy, and it's godly people are not drawn to that. They're just not. And um, anyhow, I have a dream last night that I'm in this dark building looking for lights. I know this has exactly what to do with what the, the, the experience at Low Mill last night. I'm on this motorcycle. I'm riding in this old, broken-down building, and I'm actually riding in the building because it's like a huge warehouse. And the only thing I'm looking for in this dark warehouse are lights. And in a dream, my le- legitimate reason for looking for them is maybe like for camera lights. And so I'm in this building going from room to room, place to place, whatever, and I get to this one place where I find these boxes of lights and I'm so excited so then I get on the motorcycle and I head out of the building and then apparently you get to this place where you have to pay for the stuff that you find in the house like there's somebody you have to pay for it so I'm waiting in line and I'm feeling very tired I'm very lethargic in my dream and this guy says hey man can I help you and I said yes and I realized I left the lights in the house so I'm sitting there and he goes, I'm like, man, you're not going to believe this. I'm just so tired. You know, I've been so tired and without sleep, I guess. And I left the lights in the house that I'm looking for. So he helps somebody else. I get back on the motorcycle and I find this set of stairs and I start riding up the stairs and I'm riding up, riding up. And it's funny because this motorcycle is in the dream in several places. It's like a street bike, but I even ride it in the trail. I'm riding it down a trail at one place into these woods. Now, when I get so far into the woods, I realize this is a somewhat scary thing. I've never been on this trail, never been down this area, and so I turn around and head out. It was a fun little ride, but I'm on this motorcycle and in the building. I go back in, and I go back all up into this room, and I get into the one room where I think they're at. And it's like there's house furniture, and but there's no lights on. There's like no electricity. There's no lights, so everything is dark. And I'm fumbling. I'm not afraid of the dark. It's weird. I'm not afraid. Like you would think you'd be afraid. I'm not. I'm frustrated because I can't see where the lights are at. And I'm I'm looking for the light to see where these lights are at. I'm, I'm looking for a light. I remember in my dream, I'm fumbling with my phone. Your phone. And then I remember, oh, my phone's in my pocket. I can get a light out of it. And I can't hit the button right. I can't. No matter how many times I press it and I can't remember what you have to do and I can't see well enough, even when I light my phone, my phone is darkly lit. So every it's about having no light. So at some point I see these two cats and they, they come to me and start hissing, but I'm not afraid of them. In fact, I start laughing and I get down on the floor and I hiss at them even more. <sighs> I'm doing this to the... And the one keeps coming, but they're like almost like... It's like in the dream I'm having fun with them. And I realize, you know, how much more powerful I am than these dumb little cats. And this one little cat's got some gnarly looking teeth on him. and But I, I have no afraid. It's almost like he's like a, like he's a joke to me or something. I don't know how to explain it. The one cat I ran off with, this other one, this smaller one, is he hadn't learned his lesson yet. So he's still coming after me. So at some point I put my foot on his face and kind of kick him away to let him know Buddy, your little hissing's not doing anything to me. You don't have any idea. I could stand up and punch you across this room so fast it'd make your head spin. But I'm not, I don't have the, the, the lack of compassion to do that. But it seems pretty obvious to me that I'm searching for lights 
in a dark building. And there's no light anywhere hardly to be found at all. There's faint little lights. From what I remember, every room I go into, there's faint little lights. Like there's a small amount of light in every room. And obviously I think these cats would represent like demonic um, entities trying to prevent me from having a successful mission. They were coming directly at me. And isn't it interesting that I just wrote about demons yesterday. Saul 666, as I finished the writing on demons, the page number of words ended up with a 666 in it. Last night, while I'm sitting at Low Mill, incidentally, I believe this happens while I'm sitting at Low Mill, my friend Gustavo texts me a license plate, 666. So, you know, it's so interesting to me how I take this also very seriously, and I find that the farther down this road I get, the more black and white I see people. They either get it or they don't, and there's very few that get it. There's many, 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 many people that are deceived. Many people. And you know, that feels so sad to say that. It makes you feel like, you know, who are you to think that you're the only one, you know, and obviously you're not, you're not thinking you're the only one, but in your own area, you'll find there's not many people that love God, that seek the light like you do. And that's sad. And again, it's not that my pot is any better than anybody else's pot. I've just chosen to fill my pot with more of the spirit of Christ, the authentic word of Christ. And so that would make me better off than somebody who has not vice versa. So I Really, really find this all very interesting. The 666s, the going to low mill, seeing people that are false disciples, having the dream last night, I'm searching for the light. And that's what I feel like that's what I'm doing is I'm constantly looking like Tozer's chapter, The Saint Must Walk Alone. It's interesting, I'm riding a motorcycle. What's a motorcycle? It's a one-passenger vehicle. You know, when you think about wanting to get away from people you think about getting on a motorcycle because you can't hardly take anybody with you sure you can take one passenger but it's not it's not really what it's designed for it's designed to be out on the open road seeking freedom anyhow I when I think about all of this I've been sitting here thinking about this whole dream thing and i remember how frustrated I was in that house going from room to room looking for the lights and unable to find them and just searching from darkness and having to be very careful that I don't every room I go in and again there was I wasn't afraid you would you should be afraid when you're in this big building I wasn't afraid I was afraid of stubbing my toe I was afraid of running into something I couldn't see because it was just dark everywhere and but I was on this mad mission to find these lights, and it's like frustrating. And when I think about the people that I ran into last night at Low Mill, I spent the last hour just in frustration, just thinking about, God, are they just going to end up in hell? Is there no hope for them at all? These people that think they have it and they don't. What they call Christianity and what I call Christianity, what they call understanding, what I call understanding, what they call discernment, and what I call under- discernment are completely different. They're not even in the same group category. I mean, and I just look at them and I, I kept sitting over watching this one lady and I think to myself, man, I tried so hard to help her and people are so deceived, you know, and anyhow, I just, I think that's what the dream is about. It's about the reality of my experience of, of feeling like I'm all alone on a motorcycle Riding through a dark world looking for the lights. And there's glimmers of light in each room, but they're not close enough to give me any light. They're not close enough for me to, to use their light to see what I'm looking for. They're off in the distant. And they're all without a touch. And not even the light on my own phone is working. And, and I can't see and I'm searching for these lights. I'm trying to find these these box of lights that I had found in, in, the, in the, this big house. And now I can't find them. I don't know what the full meaning of this is. I don't understand the whole going down to checking out and then realizing I forgot the lights and I got to go back in to get the lights and then I can't find the lights and I find some other ones and 
they're scattered all over the place. I don't know, you know, if this has something to do with these people that are contacting me from all over the place or I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre, you know, but, you know, clearly like the cats or the demons trying to stand in my way and intimidate me from looking for the lights. And it's almost like I'm looking for the lights to make more light. The lights in the dream were supposed to be, I think, to be used for my video work. So it's like I'm looking for light to illuminate more light, if that makes any sense. More truth, more evidence of God, more testimony, so forth and so on, to show that there is light. I don't know. I guess I could go on and on and about this, but it's just bizarre. Very, very bizarre. Michael Commentary. I don't know how far we have to get into these recordings before I ever mention additional insight I got about this dream, but I'm a little disappointed that I didn't make it clear. I mentioned it two times, but I just barely blipped over it. It's because I haven't yet really understood what the dream is kind of showing me yet. But one point that I want to make really clear is that all of the lights are way far away from me. So once I got to a level in the building... The lights were way far away, like as far away on the other side of the room as you could get. And there was all this blackness and all this furniture and stuff that I could barely see in between me and it. So it would take me so long, so many obstacles. No doubt I would have probably busted up my toes, my shins, and would have really gotten hurt trying to navigate all this broken, leftover, unused equipment that was in there in between me and all these lights the other thing I noticed about the lights is that no two lights were touching each other. It didn't look like there were any two lights that were actually touching each other. And they were very faint. They looked like stars. That's the best way I can describe them. If you were to look up at nighttime and you see the stars and you see how the star kind of shimmers a little bit. If you watch it closely, it just kind of shimmers a little bit. That's what these lights look like all in this building. And so all these years later, I've had more understanding on this dream that God was showing me in a dream what I was experiencing in frustration in real life, where I'm constantly looking for lights. You know, Jesus said, you are the what? You are the light of the world. And he says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bed, if you will. He says, but instead he puts it on its stand so that all who come in the room may see the light right? So here I am in this room looking for these lights. The connection to the video, the video lights, is the connection of me trying to find more Christians, true Christians, to hear the true word of God, the true testimony of God in my life through my video ministry. You see, it makes total sense. But here's what's so interesting to me about this, is that the farther I got down the road in my ministry, the more this dream became real, the more meaning I was able to see in this dream when, again, I have to call upon my unique perspective here, and that is the tens of thousands of stories that I've received from people around the world, many of who share the testimony, Michael, I can't find a true Christian anywhere near around me. I've tried to go to church. They don't get it. They don't understand. My family has walked away. My husband has just left. This has happened. My children have turned against me. They no longer believe. My husband, who was a pastor for eight years, has now turned to Judaism and doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, uh, so forth and so on. My church has decided to go this route. I cannot find anybody who really takes this seriously. Now, I would begin to receive thousands of testimonies like this, brothers and sisters, thousands Okay, so I, God gave me this, this incredibly unique experience where the body of Christ or a representation of the body of Christ in large numbers were going to send me emails. Not all of them are the body of Christ, clearly. Send me emails and I got to begin to have this kind of global snapshot of what the body of Christ looks like in various aspects. What she's suffering, what it looks like to be her now, the the type of persecution she's suffering, the type of uh, satanic attacks that are coming at her, etc. And I, I got to begin to see this, this kind of overarching global perspective on what is going on in the body of Christ. It became very obvious to me that God has separated many, many, many true Christians. I'm not saying you can't find true Christians sitting in these institutional buildings, but there has been over the last many years, a great exodus out. In fact, 
somewhere around five or six or seven years ago, I remember reading a book, and tell me this isn't unbelievably ironic, about George Barna. Now, maybe you've not heard of Barna before, but if you've ever been churched, if you've ever been near any kind of um, church leadership or volunteer or whatever, perhaps you've heard of George Barna, B-A-R-N-A. He had the world's leading organization on all of the statistics and studies of the church and religion all over the world. Well, how ironic is it? that the man who is at the top of the chain in the world for understanding what was going on in religion and in the, quote, body of Christ, became a person who left the institution of the church and wrote a book about why he left the institution of the church. And at that time, when I read his book, it was estimated, according to their statistics, that one million people a year were leaving the institution of the church. That means leaving the building. They were sick of what they saw in it. They were sick of not being able to make tremendous fellowship, deep fellowship. They were sick of the hypocrisy. They were sick of the programs. They were sick of all the, the, the fatness that's been added, all of the worldliness. They were sick of all the backbiting. They were sick of all the politics. They were sick of all the, the type of churches that are ran by a family czar, if you will, where the family runs it and you can't really break into leadership unless you are family or somebody approved by family. And just all the other things, the church wounds, you know, and then the, the, the watered down lukewarm teaching, the inability to tell about both sides of God, to tell the whole truth of the word of God. People began, small numbers of people you know, compared to the world, but a large number of people began making this mass exodus. One million people a year, brothers and sisters. That's a lot of people, okay? George Barna being one of them. That was always amazing to me. So my perspective all these years later, having received all these emails, brothers and sisters, you cannot believe how many thousands of emails I've received, people telling me they feel alone, They can't find fellowship. I've had people ask me, Michael, can you start a Facebook group? Michael, can you start some sort of an online, you know, chat room? Michael, can you connect us to some other people? Michael, can you recommend a church in my area? People used to ask me all the time if I could recommend a a church to them. People desperate for fellowship being all alone. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Tozer did one time, and I think I'm going out on a limb here by saying this, but I'd like to go out on a limb and share something that the Lord very well could be doing. I've been, I've been knowing that this was intentional, that God was calling true believers out of the institution. And I've got a lot of evidence since. I'm going to read right now an email that I received from somebody in South Africa um, regarding a minister who I believe indeed had a real encounter, a real vision from the Lord. I want to read this to you where this pastor was given this incredible revelation about how God sees the condition of the church right now. Now, keep in mind, I received this long after I have published a video on YouTube that's been watched a lot of times, at least over 100,000, I haven't looked in a long time, called Why We Left the Church. And I want you to hear this because when I read this, I said, this man has heard from God. This man has been told the truth and I, this, the spirit of God in me witnesses to this. Okay. And then at the end, God helped me remember, I want to tell you why I believe it's very possible that the Lord is allowing this to happen and actually causing this to happen such that a lot of us true believers, the deeper you walk with God, the more isolated and alone you feel. And that this has been intentional in this stage of the church. We are not in the book of Acts where she's born and she's got to learn to walk on her own two feet. And then she's going to learn to grow and be mature, a productive, you know, member of society. No, we're in the geriatric stage. We're in the stage where Jesus would say to you, only hold on to what you have until I come so that no one will take what belongs to you. Okay, your crown. Okay, here's the church revelation that I received from, it comes originally from a pastor named Gray Macheso. I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. G-R-E-Y. M-A-C-H-E-S-O. And I was so thankful for somebody sending this to me. And they said that he was a very small fellowship 
in Africa and he didn't have a very big reach and this person hoped that perhaps I could share this information. I haven't been led to do so in any formal way except for right now I'm going to do this. So here is the vision from God given to Pastor Gray Macheso. He says, I want to use this medium to tell about a revelation I had about our church. I know some persons may attack me because of this, maybe due to guilty conscience or whatsoever, but I have to take this burden off my neck and I have my conscience free. God spoke to me expressly concerning the church, capital C-H-U-R-C-H, and I wept bitterly after he finished. It all happened this way. We lost a very good brother in the church to a mysterious sickness. This brother was too young and very dedicated. He was just about 22 years old and was a great lifeline in both the choir and the youth department. He was a born-again child of God, and I was always challenged by his level of dedication. When he fell seriously ill, we prayed. The church prayed on many occasions, seeking God's healing for him, but at last we lost him. This is one death that has pained my spirit even up till today and would never cease to. Prior to this, there was another sister we lost. She was very dedicated too, and her husband was also a great child of God. They were without children and for many years after marriage, but they never wavered in their faith. But suddenly she became pregnant and the church was in great joy. But we lost her during the childbirth and upon the prayers tears, and pleading to God to spare her life, we lost her. A lot of deaths in the church, which were not so before now, and situations that refuse to respond to prayers nowadays, which were not also like this before, now prompted me to seek God to know what was going wrong. Specifically, my dear friend's death made me cry and still cry bitterly till today. I embarked on a 33-day prayer because I wanted to be restored from my weakness and failures and also to know the reason for various negative happenings in our churches and why such negative incidences don't obey our prayers anymore. Throughout the period of my fervent prayers with tears, I heard nothing from God. But on the last day of my prayers, being so weak and feeling God was never going to tell me anything, he appeared to me in the form of an old man, and he told me things that made me still beg for mercy till today. Here it is. He said to me, quote, You have requested to know, and I will tell you, the gathering you call a church is no longer a church before my eyes, but a place of tussle for power, position, fame, division, superiority, supremacy, and authority. Many shepherds who were supposed to protect the sheep from lions have become like the lions, devouring the very sheep handed into their care. The hearts of the people are divided against each other, and brothers are seeking the downfall of brothers for the sake of position and authority. The altar of the church has become a boxing ring where shepherds, pastors, and deacons slash deaconesses fight each other fiercely, both with punches and foul words to become the last man standing and the superior to all. Pastors drag pastors in church to take over my altar for their personal interests. The church is divided among themselves, choosing leaders based on what they stand to gain materially rather than what they stand to gain spiritually. Pastors fight pastors for positions and members fight pastors for possession of the church. Brethren who were of the same fold now divide against each other and pray to me against each other, seeking the downfall of each other from my hands. The sacred things of my temple are being used for selfish purposes and the occultic members of the world are now the people judging the sacred matters of the church in court and taking decisions for the church to make peace. Yet my people wouldn't stop fighting themselves. 
The church has become a war and battleground where leaders fight for superiority and power due to quest for financial benefits and control over whatever and whoever they want to control. I am very bitter with the church. Now watch this. Brothers and sisters, this guy is either dead right or he's dead wrong. If this is indeed a vision from God, listen to what God says. I am very bitter with the, quote, church. I believe this is 100% accurate from God. I have felt the same spirit in me preaching against the institution of the church for a long time now. It goes on. Listen. He says, now this is the part that shocked me. He said, because of this... I no longer listen to their prayers as a church, but I only listen to individual prayers from a very few of her members who are still burning in desire to know me. The prayers from them as a church to me has become an abomination before me because the hearts from which the prayers come from are not united, but filled with division and hatred towards one another. When they pray to me as a church demanding for solutions to situations, I tend to see a group of people who pretend to be together, but in the real sense, they are against each other and against me as well. They don't pray for mercy and unity. Rather, they pray to me to deal with their own brothers and sisters because no one wants to be a subordinate to the other. Everyone wants to be the superior and the one gaining. I have decided to only listen to individual prayers from sincere hearts not a prayer from a group of hypocrites who call on me from their lips, but inside their hearts, lies, wickedness, jealousy, envy, false witnessing, covetousness, ungodly plans, and great division. That is why when they pray for healing, I become slow to it. They pray for blessings. I tend to bless only a few with sincere hearts. Their offerings, tithes, and seeds have become filthy before me because they come from unclean hearts and hands that have shed blood. I have decided to be calling home the upright ones in the church in death through various ways, some through sickness and others through situations I deem proper. By the way, brothers and sisters, he doesn't mention this, but that is absolutely the word and ways and truth of God's word in Isaiah 57.1. I'm surprised he didn't mention it, but God's own word in Isaiah 57, 1 is that he takes out the righteous early and no one ponders in their heart why this happened. And God says this happens to spare them from evil. He says, I would have allowed them to stay, but I don't want to lose them. So I take them home while they are in good standing with me. Cry no more for your brother and friend who was called home by me, just like I have called other children of mine. The time is too short and judgment day is at the corner. You should stand firm and don't take your eyes off of me for the evil day is very near. But as for the church, a lot will happen and is yet to come unless they come back together in one heart like in the days of old and seek me. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the part of the only part of this that I struggle with. I don't see how God would say to him, unless he's speaking of his church, this idea of unity, because I don't see anywhere biblically how it's going to happen. I could be wrong. I believe everything in me, the Spirit of God says, there is only coming more and more apostasy, more and more falling away, more and more lukewarmness, more and more disobedience, more and more deception, and it's going to continue to fall away. If there's anything that could look like a revival, it will be false and counterfeit. That's the only part of this whole message that I do not agree with. Now, back to this dream. Notice how God tells him he's only listening to a few individual members. Brothers and sisters, there was only those few lights that I saw across the room from one another. Again, remembering no two were touching, symbolizing that they've all been separated from one another. Now, here's the part where I'm going to go out on a limb that I told you was. I had this thought. Do you remember how when the end had come for Jesus's ministry on earth, he said that the sheep will be struck and each one will return to his home, meaning you're not going to be together and you're going to leave me alone. Now, this was the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. We are approaching the end of Jesus's spiritual ministry on earth as well. Jesus said the time is coming. 
when all things will be dark and men can no longer work. We must work while we have the light. Jesus said in Luke 18, 8, but when the son of man comes, will he even find faith on earth, right? So we know the end of all things is near and this thing is wrapping up. Now I have this idea that it's like the sheep are being struck again and each of them are being separated and divided just as they were before the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Okay. The sheep are being struck and separated, but it seems to me like God has potentially a glorious purpose for doing this. Just let's ask the question, could it be? Let's go to a Romans 9 position where Paul says, you know, could it possibly be that God, when he bore the objects of his wrath with great patience, he did so to make known his mercy and grace to those who would receive his mercy? He says, isn't it possible Right, So I'm going to say, isn't it possible? And this is how I'm going out on a limb. You know how many times God will do things in our life that doesn't make any sense to us and that actually in, uh, afflicts us and causes us pain in the process. And we think, Lord God, if you're a good God, why is this happening? And I don't understand. But then many times later, like almost every part of my life, I go, oh, now I see what you were doing and why you were doing this. Well, try this on for size. One of the most painful things I hear from people right now is the loneliness they feel in the body of Christ. The loneliness they feel being a true Christian, isolated and alone, very difficult to find fellowship. I hear this from all over the world, right? Now watch. If we believe we're in the last of days and we see these things that are going on all over the world, I have told my son, son, you better start preparing. And I've been making him watch Holocaust movies so that he can see what's going to happen to us as Christians. There is going to be no pre-tribulation rapture. It's not scriptural. That can only come from the pulpit. It does not exist in scripture. You have to make up something to believe that there's a pre-tribulation rapture. You have to conjecture something that the Bible does not say. On the contrary, when you study the book of Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, when you really look into the book of Revelation, when you really study slowly Matthew 24 and after the tribulation, you begin to see... Jesus comes back the day of the Lord, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It can only happen after the great falling away and the revealing of the lawless man. And we are going to have to go through perhaps losing our life for Jesus Christ on behalf of the Antichrist. So I've been explaining this to Tyler. Now watch this. When Christianity is outlawed, where in the world is Antichrist going to go to first to find these, quote, Christians? He's going to go to all these buildings, is he not? Is he not going to go to the institution all over? Is that not going to be how quickly it will be to round up? Is it not possible that they already have all of your information? Because guess what? Every 5013C church in the United States is under the headship of the government. That's why I'm not a 5013C. I don't give any rights, any of my liberties up to the government just so that I can serve God. Church status, I'm not going to look down on them. They all have their own reasons for doing it, but they are under the government. They have things they can do and things they can't do because they're a 5013C status. Now, how easy would it be for Antichrist to get the names and numbers and records of every single person that goes to ABC Community Church and all the ABC Community Churches? Just, just go with this. What if in the end times in preparation to give grace to us, God is separating the true sheep from the goats in advance and separating us and calling us out of that institution, which he is done with, according to like this gentleman here, this, this man here, he says he's done with it, right? You know, got to remember back in the seventies and eighties, Leonard Ravenhill came to the United States and was preaching that less than 5% of the people sitting in this institution, and he spoke very much against the institution, as did Austin T. T. Austin Sparks trying to get men to get revelations on really what the church was, trying to get men to really take the time to go to the scriptures and study what exactly is the church and is what we go to on Sundays. Is that what the Bible calls church? And you'll find, no, it is not. Nonetheless, what if God is separating us in the end and what looks to be something painful, what looks to be something that uh, God is smitten 
you know, he's, he's smiting us and, and we are being afflicted. What if in fact it is God's blessing to us and by the very nature of our being separated, it becomes far more difficult to identify us in the end times, giving us far more time to be prepared for the inevitable, receiving and praying for God's grace. What if God is doing something amazing like that? What if God is doing something amazing like that? Antichrist is not going to only put to death true Christians. The Antichrist is going to put to death all that call themselves, quote, Christians. You see, there's no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. Just something to think about. And I just know that our father's ways are not our ways. He's, his thinking is so much higher than ours. And I began to think about this. Wow, the sheep shall be struck, each one of you going to his own home. And in a way, don't you know, if you've ever watched like the TV series AD, by them being separated, it became very difficult for the Roman Antichrist to find them. Do you see this? It became very difficult to hunt down. In fact, if you ever watch any of those movies about the book of Acts, you'll see one of the biggest problems the Romans had was trying to hunt down those Christians, trying to find them. Because they were all scattered and they were not in a, quote, synagogue. They were not in a church building. I think, I think this is just a fascinating thing to think about. And I think to myself, how many times I've prayed, God, do you want me to start a, quote, church? God, do you want me to, you know, start doing fellowship and bringing people in and doing meetings? And God, will you please give us more fellowship? The Lord never answered my prayers in this, brothers and sisters. He's left me alone all these years. And all these years, I've come across more and more people who are alone. And they will testify they have grown more outside that institution in Christ than they ever did inside the institution of the church. Give it some thought. End of commentary. This is another amazing account of how God uses this dear sister of mine in the Netherlands to confirm words to me. It's amazing how this is happening because she's halfway around the world. We're in different time zones, different race, different sex, different culture, everything. And so I've now seen this happen about, it seems almost like a half a dozen times or so, but this morning I was prompted to reach out with a very strong warning to my mom about this church they're going to. It had been my prayer that her eyes would be open to see the full truth by now. And so I sent this very long email message. And in the message, I make this point that would God the Father and God the Son ever look down upon a pastor who has been for years preaching right up to the truth and stopping just short of it. This is the testimony even of myself and of my mother who I'm writing the email to. And I said a, t I said a sermon that goes 98% all the way and stops is still a lie. And I had just been writing, and this was pouring out of me this morning, as God was helping me to see how critical it is to fight for the truth and to flee from error and how easily the devil counterfeits the truth. He brings it right up and always stops just short of the full truth. And I wrote, anything short of the truth, 100% is a lie. To my utter amazement, God is, when he does things, he does it exact, he does it specific. I finished this long email I sent it off to my mom. I listened to another recording I had made, which I had also asked my mom to listen to. And then I began to sit down and listen to a recording that uh, Natalie had sent me last night. And I hadn't had a chance to listen to it. So I sat down and I began to listen. And this is what I hear. And I was just like, God Almighty, are you kidding? She has no idea that I have sent this email. She has no idea that I'm, I've been struggling with this, with my, uh, this church and my mom being there. Nothing. She has no idea. So um, what I've seen um, in the spiritual things, um, you know, I am very, you know, very, very careful. You know, I'm very careful. I, I, I pray God for this sermon. What you said, we need this sermon in these times. We need this sermon. So I pray, I pray for this sermon. I pray. And sometimes... You don't even need this sermon to know that they are devilish. They are from the devil. But these days, these last days, like you said, we need this sermon. And somebody said the biggest lie is one one degree, is one percent away from the truth. You see, that is that. When I heard that, 
Uh, so, yes, it's true. The devil doesn't come with huge lies anymore. It's just one degree, just one percent away from the truth. Absolute, amazing, undeniable, Holy Spirit-led confirmation of truth. I, it is amazing to me. After having lived this now for five years and seeing God work like this, where he'll speak an exact direct word just like that. It is incredible. I have never even had this thought before this morning when I was beginning to make this email and just praying my way through it. God gave me utterance having already known he had spoken that exact word yesterday in this recording from this dear sister of mine halfway around the world having no idea that that would even be a subject of interest to me this morning. Amazing, amazing, amazing. This is just a quick recording that God has blessed me again with. He's been showing me when I step into something hard. This is a pattern I've seen a lot of times when I stand up against a lie, when I left the church, when I confront lies that my parents have believed or that others have believed or what have you. If it's a very hard thing that could cost me, then God shows me He's proud of me. The whole time I made this recording to Natalie explaining what happened this morning, I'm sitting there looking at my outbox, reading the email that I sent to my mom, and it had it was 111 cent emails. That's 111, Mark 111, and a voice came from heaven saying, "You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased." God always shows this. Where a 322 to me just now as I'm pulling into Starbucks, the last stoplight, pull up, license plate 111. I turn the corner 966. My emails in my box are 966. License plate in front of me. 966. So there's another number that God's trying to show me. But one of the things I wanted to to capture this message is, is that it is hard to step out in faith and it is hard to stand against lies. It is hard to be courageous enough to confront evil. There is no doubt it is not an easy thing to do to be what seems like one man up against an entire church or up against an entire family or up against whatever. It's hard to do. But what I am discovering is again being reminded of consciously is that God gives you grace to enable you to do it such that you almost either can't feel it when you're doing it or he will encourage you on the back side of it once you step into it he will encourage and confirm so the example this morning would be you know I find myself being under attack mentally like I know when I stand up against the truth, the devil attacks it. When I tried to attack the Catholic Church thing, shortly after that, I'm covered up in 312 or 322s, 111. God saying, I'm proud of you, son. On my way here this morning, I see 1133. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place that will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that all who come into the room may see the light. God telling me, take this word. Jesus says, what I've whispered into your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. So there's this call that when the Holy Spirit teaches, you have to have courage to put it out there. But there's the fear that, well, what if I hurt somebody's feelings? What if I'm wrong? What, You know, God takes care of those things, but he'll give you the grace to step out. And you have to have the courage. It is not me that has the courage to do this. It is the boldness of Christ that's in me. I would have never been willing to hurt people's feelings as much as I do or to inflict upon them or to make them feel badly of me as much as they do because I'm speaking truth. I would have never been that willing. But now God has graced me. He's so graced me. And I trust in Him. I depend upon Him. I wait upon Him. And then He rewards me uh, either in the moment or afterwards. But it always requires the grace to step in it, the faith. You have to step into it and do the thing you fear that's pleasing to God, and then God enables you. He doesn't leave you alone. I mean, it's just incredible how much our God loves us and how much He he enables us. You have to take the first step. God will not come over to the boat and pick your leg up and throw your your leg over the side of the boat. No, He says, Peter, come. You have to get out of the boat. Once you start to come, God gives you the grace. He's the one that makes the water solid beneath your feet so you can walk on it. You may even still get afraid, but you have to keep putting your eyes on the truth. I'm, I'm seeing how God, again, He strengthens me. It's not easy to tell your mom, Mom, the church you're going to is wrong. The devil you're, the, the devil is in control of that church and in control of that pastor, not God. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy for to, to want to make them feel uncomfortable. It's not easy that my mom's having to wrestle with this today. 
and think about it and, and go through all these. But he's such a nice man and he's good looking and he preaches the hard word and people laugh and clap and holler and people amen and shout and holler. I mean, it's not easy to have to have a person have to think through all these things and to have to, oh gosh, here we go again. So Michael saying something else is wrong and, you know, who's perfect? Who is he? Where is this guy coming from? You know, he... I don't hear anybody else being as critical as my son is. It takes courage. I know that God is, he just continues to make me stronger and stronger because there's been a fear in me. You know, you don't want to say something too much because then people will backlash on you and be a hater and all that. And God has just been eliminating that in me for so long. He's been making it to where I'm becoming bolder and bolder and bolder. And you know what? I know that on the other side of this life, God will use my words to condemn others because my words were his words. And Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you. The words I have spoken to you will condemn you. So he will use, he will remind people, uh, here's Michael right here telling you the truth. You ignored it. Or he will use my words to convict them and save them this side of heaven. Praise be to God. That's the preferable option. My mom has responded to my assertion this morning that their pastor is not preaching the whole Word of God, and he apparently never has, and so that means he is under the influence of the devil, because anything short of the truth is a lie. Period. End of story. I don't think there's any godly person on the planet that really knows the Lord that could argue with the fact that if you come right up to the line and stop short, you are under the influence of the devil not under the influence of the Spirit of God. You may have a desire for God. You may even have a love for God. You may be obedient to Him in some ways, but you are right now under the control and influence and ensnared by the devil. You're not bringing it all the way. I think this also uh, would apply to a person who's maturing. Like obviously, when you're an individual and you're maturing, you're going to know less truth in the beginning than you are in the beginning. But you cannot say this of a man who is in charge of shepherding a sheep who's been doing it for decades. You can't say, oh, he's still sanctifying, he's still... No, of course he is. But no, he should be well further along in the truth. There should be no excuse. The Word of God is plain. If Paul could do it after three years of training, so can anybody else. Paul had three years of training. He went from being a zero to a hero in three years of training and went out and did his thing. And the same thing can be said of the disciples. They had three years of training, and then it was time for them to go out. So, for a man to have been preaching for decades and still be struggling with coming right up to the edge of truth, but then backing off so that nobody's offended, that spirit does not come from God. That is a spirit of fear at the very least, and it's an intentional spirit of destruction by the devil at the at the at at, at best. And so, having presented this to my mom. She sends me an email back saying, if, you know, we were required to live a life like you, we'd have no friends, we'd have da 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 and it was all about, instead of it being about, is Pastor Rusty preaching the truth, and is that church being more influenced by the Spirit of God or the Spirit of darkness, the, the kingdom of Satan, it became about comparing their walk with my walk. Well, that had nothing to do with the email that I sent, and when I showed up here, my mom said, you know, I told Bob, Mom, that... Um, you know, I told Bob that I'm so glad that, you know, I don't have that calling that Michael does. That Michael has been given a very hard call. And I said, Mom, you're, you're making it about my commitment to holiness when this message is about, is a man of God preaching the truth or not? There are no stand. This, this is what is amazing to me is that when I had this argument with another group of people, at the same church. They posed the same argument. They suggested that I am called to live a higher level of holiness somehow or another than they are. That's what the, that's what the devil will do is to lie. He'll make you think, well, well, Michael's got a different calling than you. He, he has to live a higher level of holiness. Are you kidding me? No way. I, I know that there are people who live way more holy and have been way more mature in their faith than I am. That's just the truth. And so I'm trying to step up to their level, not looking at them and saying, man, you know, you're just way too holy for me. You're in a totally different category and I don't have to live like that. No, every day I'm pressing in to holiness. 
The Bible says without holiness we won't see God. If you know that Jesus is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 1 John 2.29 And so, you know, we, we are to purify ourselves. Anyhow, I, I don't want to keep going on and on. I just, I'm thankful that my mom's not offended, but I can also see the deception. The deception is the devil will try to get you if... if, if if he can't get a person to deny that what I'm saying is true, in other words, if he can't get you, if he can't get enough on you to say, oh, what he's saying is a lie, my mom couldn't say that what I'm saying is a lie. What she has to say is that I'm being held to a higher level of accountability than she is. And that is a lie. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I may have a different calling. My calling may be to preach the, tr the hard truth, but her calling, as with every Christian, is to live the hard truth. My calling may be to point out false teaching, but her calling would be to flee from false teaching. This is what I want to make as clear.